0: He's the same guy, Werner Herzog, who uh, plays the Imperial officer in The Mandalorian. Oh, he man. says the famous line, I would like to see the baby.
1: <laughs> I would like to move to Florida to be closer uh, to Disney
0: to World. Disney World. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Parks and
1: Rewatch. I'm your host, Joe. And I'm Joy, and I'm having a semi crazy meltdown because we just started season seven and I don't know what to do with my life. We
0: are beginning the final season of Parks and Rec. The
1: final
2: countdown.
0: <laughs> Which means that we are diving into season seven. What? Episode one. 2017.
1: I want words to be there, not numbers. I was very confused at first when I looked and I was like, where Uh are the words?
0: It was a little confusing. So, Joy, what happens in today's episode?
1: I woke up in the middle of the night and realized that I forgot to write poetry for the episode of the day plot synopsis. Um, So, I just wrote it. And sometimes I'm just really in awe of how it flows. And so this one is lines of two words. It is essentially, I I built it in a way that we can reflect. So it's the same stanza for opening and closing and some details in the middle. Joe, would you like to read this or do you want me to read this?
0: I kind of feel like you should read it to realize your vision.
1: Okay. Here we go.
2: Three years. Seems short Is long Enough <sighs> for <laughs> Chaos too. Over
1: Leslie Crazy Mache Ben Jerry's Berry Mogul Tom Contractor Ron, adult Ludgate Dwyer's, three years, seems short, is long, enough for,
2: chaos to take over. Ta-da.
0: Wow. You're welcome. Seems short is long.
1: <laughs> I was really proud of that. <laughs> I was like, joy, you nerd. Good job.
0: <laughs> well done.
1: Seems short is long.
0: How do you yeah. feel about time jumps in shows or movies in general? Like, are you generally It favorable? depends on the
1: precedent. It depends on the pace of the story. It depends on how it Ties into character development. Mm -hmm. Like this one seems like a cop out in some ways Mm -hmm. because there is no precedent for it. We're on the last season and all of a sudden it's like, let's just skip all this life. Mm -hmm. It feels like whiplash.
0: It does a little bit. I think reading on the Internet about the show, it seems like a lot of people thought that the finale of season six was essentially like the perfect Mm. series finale Mm. and maybe the show shouldn't have even gone for a season seven Mm. and in some ways I'm glad they did but it's hard not to argue with that the season six finale was really strong right and I think it ended on this really good kind of open-ended note right and then just a time jump three years into the future and skip or rush through a lot of the stuff that was left open-ended from the season six finale does feel a little bit jarring.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what discussions were happening in the writer's room at that point. Mm-hmm. Cause that they did make some really big decisions.
0: Yeah. Like we don't see really any of Leslie's pregnancy, the birth of the triplets. Um, they're just three now, basically.
1: Yeah, and there's no movement for Ben. Ben's mm-hmm. still in the same position, except he's wearing, a, as the internet said, GQ fitting suit, and his hair is slicked back, and Leslie has bangs. But other than that, she's still frantic. And I just... the There isn't enough character development over the three years to feel much different, other than Leslie and Ron are at it with each other.
0: Mm-hmm, which we'll get into, but yeah, it just... It's an interesting use of the time jump for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm excited to get into that. But first, let's do some episode behind the scenes and trivia. IMDb said the entire season seven was filmed in 2014, but was set in 2017. And they made several predictions about life in 2017. <laughs> first one, use of holographic phones did not come true. I just got to say, trying Which to is watch a bummer, but trying to watch a video on a holographic phone while like a dog is running out at your feet underneath the video, that would be kind of distracting. How do you actually get proper color and contrast of your video when it's a clear surface? These are the things I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the collection of personal information through keywords via various platforms to cater needs to to cater needs to individuals, what? Using the service, which is true, unfortunately. Use of television as video calls came true, but is not necessarily popular. Also, mm-hmm. it looked like they broadcasted that as like a, a news thing, not as a internal video message. That was very confusing to me. Um, and the Chicago Cubs did in fact win the world series in 2016
0: so yep that was i think the craziest prediction because it's just this sort of one-off line about everyone's so much happier in chicago now that the cubs have won the series it was this (laughs) throwaway thing the cubs are still dealing with the curse Mm -hmm. and then in 2016 they win and it was, was crazy it was insane
1: that was crazy A fun fact, Adam Scott, who played Ben Wyatt, and Mark Evan Jackson, who played our favorite lawyer, Trevor Nelson, also worked together on The Good Place as Trevor and Sean, respectively, which is another Michael Schur universe show. Super fun. Parksandrecreation.fandom.com had a fun call out that Werner Herzog plays not Ken Ken Jennings. All the N's are replaced for G's. So it's (laughs) keg jeggings. (laughs) <laughs> that's the creepy guy in the house keg Jen- jeggings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's very funny
0: yeah I love that he's the same guy Werner Herzog who uh, plays the imperial officer in the Mandalorian oh, he man. says the famous line I would like to see the baby
1: <laughs> I would like to move to Florida to be closer uh,
0: to Disney to world, Disney world. <laughs>
1: Love it. Whoever wrote that line better know that they are brilliant. Oh, so good. (laughs) I know. Vulture.com had an article out about it and they said it's 2017 in Pawnee and everything is just a bit snazzier. Grizzle tablets, Leslie's perfect fringy bangs. This was the GQ fit. Ben's tucks with that GQ fit. Leslie is, as usual, thrusting her overachieving nature on everyone around her, even her beloved husband, who, as he con- continues to remind her, does not actually work for the National Park Service as she does. <laughs> um, said, Tom seems kind of dickish in the future. I'm glad he's a mogul now. Remember when he just wanted to run a bunch of ski mountains or whatever and be a mogul mogul? Good times. And that he's earned a coveted slot on Indiana Business Monthly's 3,500 to 35. But everyone in the group... Of everyone in the group he looks like he's gone back in time his arrogant speech is almost worth it for the switch at the end of the episode when he reveals that the thought of reading his real speech made him too emotional to go on and he and ben cry in each other's arms i mean fine fine i won't complain about anything that leads to such beautiful friendship moments i am weak with love for pawnee going to be a wreck all season so that was interesting and i i see that you put a whole thing in here um I'm very excited to get into that. So I will go through my last two bullet points before we get to your beautiful writing. Reddit, the threads on Reddit are just getting less and less meaty. It's just people Mm. being like, I love that. And I'm like, where's the discussion, people? (laughs) Discuss something. Um, So two call outs that I found very interesting. The first one was, I like how Ron Swanson still has an old cell phone belt clip for it in 2017. It's the same phone, which is beautiful to me. I do love that small detail. And the second one is the fact that no one works for the parks department now makes me sad.
0: hmm mm-hmm. Except for technically Craig. Okay. Who still does. He's running the thing now.
1: Okay. Your yeah. turn.
0: So as I was thinking about and as I mentioned in a previous episode... Season seven, I think, has been the topic of some discussion. And I remember by this time, I was watching Parks and Rec as it aired. Mm. Uh, And so you have to deal with the time that takes place between seasons uh, and then knowing it was going to be the final season going into it. Typically, that's something I always enjoy. When a show knows that it is going to be going into its final season because that gives sort of a a direction and that gives a predetermined pace to the writers and everything. There are some good knowns. Yeah. So some of the final episodes of TV series have been my favorite. I don't know I can say that with Parks and Rec for sure. I don't know that season seven is my favorite. I'm excited
1: Um, to hear all about this.
0: But regardless, Parks and Rec is a show that's it's loved by many. It's looked back on as one of the all time greats of network sitcoms. I think absolutely deserved. The final season took several risks, not the least of which being a time jump. Yeah. Uh, The final season of Parks and Rec and its series finale did not sit well with everyone and as someone who generally thinks that the show did stick the landing there are still some things to me about the final season that i think could have been done better or on the opposite end of the spectrum are just honestly head-scratchingly confusing yeah so i thought now might be a good time to discuss some of the overarching themes of season seven and address some of what i think are the main ways that the show misses the mark yeah the first Big one being the unearned conflict between Ron and Leslie. Yes. Uh, So for me personally, this is the biggest swing and a miss from season seven. Yep. And trying to look at it from both sides, I can understand what the intent may have been, which would be to really give shock value to the time jump And to give the plot a a sort of shot in the arm by injecting this big mystery into the final season, Um, like, oh, my goodness, it's Ron and Leslie. What happened, you know, to do this to them and and make you as a watcher be really engaged to want to figure that out. Uh, But I think that as a writer, there's a right and a wrong way to do this. Mm. And If you're going to drive a wedge between arguably the biggest and longest running friendship in the show, then it needs to make sense given what we know of Leslie and Ron's characters and their arcs over the previous six seasons. Right. Uh, The problem is that time and time again over those past six seasons, we have seen them resolve similar conflicts in the span of a single episode.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: No matter the conflict, towards the end of the episode, we can always count on seeing Ron and Leslie sit down and have a meaningful conversation in which they work things out, apologize, and reaffirm their commitment to each other. There have been no gorilla statues, birthday party disasters, or conniving Tammies that have ever been enough to drive a wedge between Ron and Leslie.
1: That is such a good observation, honestly.
0: Yeah. So when the season begins and we see they've become enemies, we immediately assume that something terrible must have happened. And when the conflict ultimately comes down to poor communication when they've always been able to communicate, yeah. It feels jarring and unearned. This doesn't feel like a logical development given the world the show has built or the characters we know. And so it's difficult to suspend disbelief and not see this as a poorly thought out plot device instead. Uh, So, for example, when it's revealed that a character you thought was human all along is actually a host on Westworld, it is a massive shock. It's a huge twist, but it's believable because it's consistent with the world the show has built. Hmm. The show sort of establishes this world in which nothing is what it seems. Mm. And so when there's a giant twist that tells you nothing is what it seems, it's a big twist, but you believe it because that's the world and the characters that have been established. Right. And I think as a writer, you can pull off those big kinds of surprises to great effect, but there has to be some element of consistency with the established world and characters. Yeah. And that's where I think they missed the mark of pulling this off.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, Yeah, it's just uh, the conflict feels unearned. Maybe if I was looking at this as a writer and I was thinking, okay, we're going to drive a wedge between Ron and Leslie for the final season, give them this conflict they have to get over. Um, Hopefully, what I would have already done to establish that is in – the previous season, or, or preferably even seasons, plant a seed of conflict Right, that this could have come from. Plant something in their lives, in their relationships, that could be something so terrible that they would stop communicating over it. That way, there would be something to look back on and reference that would make sense as to, oh, he did the thing, or she did the thing. Right that I was afraid of, you know, that was looming or whatever. That might just be one example. But it feels unearned. It feels inconsistent with the characters because we've always seen them be able to resolve conflicts like this so quickly. So the idea that this is just another miscommunication, like one of the hundreds that they've already had, falls a little flat.
1: Right. And if memory serves me right, and this isn't going to be a huge spoiler, but... Ron was ticked that Leslie didn't bring him with her.
0: Yeah, Ron got stood up by Leslie uh, for breakfast at JJ's when he wanted to talk to her about getting a job at the National Park Service. So then Ron just lets it go, moves on from the Parks Department, starts the building company, and then winds up bulldozing Ann's house as part of a new development. And that yeah. is what made Leslie tick to him.
1: Yeah, and there's part of it where like, holding stuff in is not true to Ron's character either. hmm Like, both Ron and Leslie, when they have an issue with each other, they talk it out immediately. hmm So there's a part of it where, like, to your point, it's not necessarily true to the characters. Yeah. And also, it's not true to the writing to this point. There yeah. hasn't been huge mysteries
2: mm-hmm.
1: that we've needed to figure out along the way. It's like... the. Wait, what kind of show is this? yeah, like it's it's a whole flavor twist that yeah. and to that end it, y-
0: you kind of gotta ask, did anybody want this? like yeah, was anyone so burned out on Parks and Rec that they needed such a huge change in tone and approach to the season, or especially would we on the just, last one, yeah, or would we have just been okay with essentially the same formula and just wrapping up the? stories oh, so. and character yeah. arcs so yeah big risk i don't know it paid off with the conflict between ron and leslie the other main thing is a saccharine sweet ending
1: five points for the word saccharin.
0: Uh, i was excited about that good job uh so to me parks and rec has always functioned as the yin to its unofficial sister show the office's yang Mm-hmm. One reviewer gave the distinction, I thought was really well put, that The Office is more of a nihilism focused comedy and Parks is more of a humanistic comedy. Mm. And yeah. I think that's a great observation. So I don't mind that the world of Parks is a heightened reality in which happy endings are dulled out more often than in real life. Yeah. Because that's what I expect from it. It's feel good TV. Yeah. But I am definitely not alone in observing that the season finale of Parks ratcheted the concept of a happy ending to almost insane levels. Accurate. Uh, And I really like this quote from Emily Nussbaum in an article for The New Yorker. She said, it papered over every difficulty in a way that felt less like resolution than a cheat, adopting an almost cult-like insistence on perfect happiness in life and happiness in a particular mold. Wow. Yeah.
1: That is put very well.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's what makes the syrupy happiness of the parks finale leave a somewhat bad aftertaste in my mouth. As heightened and sunshiny a reality as Pawnee's always been, the way the finale ends with pretty much everyone being married to the love of their life and having their ultimate dream career feels a little saccharine. Yep. In contrast, I think the finale of The Office pulled this off really well. It's Mm. a majorly happy ending, and that show is set in a world where happy endings are doled out much less often. Yeah. Uh, But I think that it works because that doesn't mean it's a happy ending for every single character. Hmm. Just as a couple examples, Kelly leaves her stable fiance who treats her well to run off into the sunset with her toxic ex, Ryan, which will surely not end well for either of them. And Creed is discovered alive after faking his death and is arrested at the end of the episode and taken to jail. Wow. Uh, And I, I think that the final season of Parks and Rec might have stuck the landing better had it not seemingly bought into the belief that a happy ending for the show required every single character or even side characters to have a disney level happy ending
1: that is such a good observation
0: yeah wow. because i think s- at some point you go okay this yeah. isn't this isn't real um yeah well the this- time
1: jump itself isn't real mm-hmm. like so much of this they didn't do their work to earn my belief
0: yeah And so it requires a more and more and more suspension of disbelief. And at some point as viewers and people invested in the show for six seasons, we just kind of go, no, I I can't follow anymore.
1: Right. So y'all decided to sprint off and I'm uh, not with you. So,
0: yeah. So. As much as I do love many things about Season 7, and we'll get into some of that as we go on, I do think that that needs to be said because I think there are some valid criticisms and some ways that people struggled to enjoy and accept Season 7 as readily as the previous seasons.
1: Yeah. Great observation. Thanks for putting that in. That was, that's that's a lot to think about and I'm really glad you said that. You're
0: welcome.
1: And now it's time for some dives. Up top, we're going to talk about loafers with no socks, slow cookers, hot fudge pipelines, and normcore. In the booths, we're going to talk about implications wheels, heartburn, and Shia LaBeouf dresses. What are you excited to hear about, Joe?
0: Probably loafers with no socks because shoes without socks generally make me disgusted and angry.
1: Unless they're sandals, right? Yes. Okay, cool. So good thing. You keep choosing the first one. So we're into loafers with no socks. Um, My big question was, when did this become a thing? It was hard for me to look at Tom in the kind of interview scene with his fancy loafers and no socks. I just, I couldn't. So, um, Brie did a little bit of research on this and she said according to the interwebs the no socks with loafers thing started in men's fashion magazines more than a decade ago in the late 2000s as a trend in New England New England's trends are like pink polos tucked into Bermuda sh- striped Bermuda shorts with webbed belts and boater shoes what? Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. She said loafers act as a casual shoe that can be dressed up for more formal occasions. According to this is a great website, ties.com, how much did they have to pay for that domain? Most people opt to go sockless when wearing loafers to appear more casual. If you're going to wear socks, however, go with the no show to prevent sweaty feet. If you must wear socks, that show with loafers ties.com suggests patterned socks to call attention to your sock game. It doesn't resolve any of my feelings. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: What's your opinion on this?
0: I hate wearing shoes and no socks unless the shoe has been specifically designed to be worn without socks. Yeah. Because my feet just instantly get gross and sweaty yep. and it's stupid. And the whole no-show sock thing doesn't really work for me because there are a few things worse when it comes to the world of wearing shoes, as far as I'm concerned, than being able to feel the seam of your sock mm-hmm. inside your shoe. And mm-hmm. then there's chafing and rubbing and, and Ooh, different textures. the word textures makes and... me want to puke. Yeah, no, it just, it makes no sense to me. Um, All right. So, so, yeah.
1: Well, listeners, if you have a different opinion, feel free to uh, talk about it on the Parks official Parks and Rewatch Facebook group, which is obviously on Facebook. (laughs) Correct. Yeah, ding, 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 ding. I get points. Accurate
0: location.
1: (laughs) Up next is the history of slow cookers, because April looks at the crock pot and she goes... (laughs) Stop taunting me. So according to Wikipedia, a slow cooker, also known as a crock pot, which is trademarked by Sunbeam products, but sometimes is used generally, generically in the English speaking world. That's funny to me. It's a countertop electrical cooking appliance used to simmer at low temperature than other cooking methods such as baking, boiling and frying. This facilitates unattended cooking for many hours of dishes that would otherwise be boiled like pot roasts, soups, stews and other dishes including beverages, desserts and dips. That's a lot of words. Soups, stews and other dishes and beverages, desserts and dips. <laughs> Whew. Um, so, good news, because I know you all were just on the edge of your seat wanting to know this. Smithsonian Magazine has an entire article called A Brief History of the Crockpot. And I posted a lot of it in the show notes. So, this is one of those moments where you hope you're a patron and you can look at all of them because I'm about to skim through them. <laughs> so, the crockpot story began in the 19th century in Vilna, a Jewish neighborhood in the city of. This is where. Uh, English text is hard because is it V I L? Is it V L I? It's, it's definitely V I L. I L, yeah. But they look so close. In, <laughs>
0: <laughs> they in, look so close.
1: Uh, in Vilnius, Lithuania, once known as the Jerusalem of the North, Vilna attracted a thriving community of writers and academics. There, Jewish families anticipated the Sabbath by preparing a stew of meat, beans, and vegetables on Fridays before nightfall. Ingredients in place, people took their crocks to their town's bakeries, specifically to the still-hot ovens that would slowly cool overnight. By morning, the low and slow residual heat would result in a stew, known as Cholent, or maybe Cholent, C-H-O-L-E-N-T. Long before he invented the modern slow cooker, Irving, I want to know how to pronounce this name. I'm going to say it's Nachumsohn. What do you think it is? Yes. Fight with me. Come on. (laughs) Um, Learned of this tradition from a relative. He was born in New Jersey in 1902, where he joined an older brother, Meyer, and later gained a younger sister, Sadie. Um, His mother, Mary, who immigrated to the U.S. from Russia, left Jersey City for Fargo, North Dakota. Wow. After her husband's death, and she eventually crossed the border into Winnipeg, Manitoba, to help um, Meyer avoid being drafted into service during World War I. Um, So Irving grew up to study electrical engineering through a correspondence course, later returning to the U.S., specifically Chicago, as Western Electric's first Jewish engineer. He was an avid inventor. He invented things like an electric frying pan and an early version of the modern lava lamp. Isn't that cool? Wow. That's so cool. His tele-sign, this was fascinating to me, laid the groundwork for the modern electric news scrollers that light up major cities, delivering headlines and stock movements to passersby. The most famous of these is the Times Square Zipper. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Dude just, like, invented all kinds of stuff, including what we now know as the crockpot. In their household, the slow cooker was a solution to summer heat, allowing the family to prepare meals without turning on the oven. He applied for the patent on May 21st, 1936, and it was granted on January 23, 1940. That's a very long process. Ugh. Ugh. His slow cooker went to market more than a decade later during the 1950s, although the reason for this delay is not clear. At the time, the slow cooker seemed unlikely to catapult him to fame, though it did highlight another significant development in his family's life, a new name. In 1945, World War II put an uncomfortable spotlight on Jer- Americans with German names, prompting him to shorten his family name to Naxon. So his first slow cooker was called the Naxon Beanery. Beanery. Makes me think of like a coffee roaster. (laughs) Or like that opening scene from Bill Nye, the one that they did on food, where it would be like, Bill Nye the science guy, brought to you in part by, and then it was like the old clacky film sound, like (laughs) and then it's like just this visual of somebody going into a pot of baked beans and pouring it out, and it's like beans (laughs) Bean. <laughs> anyway my favorite part
0: is the n- description that is the very next part of the sentence
1: uh in the beanery a squat crock with a, a squat fitted
0: lid crock
1: hey you are a squat crock and a heating element built around its inner chamber to promote an even cooking so he sold his business in 1970 to rival manufacturing for cash which was a turning point in the Crock-Pot's history. Uh, by then, the Knaxon Beanery was nearly forgotten. Um, Rival integrated Naxon Utilities into its larger operations, and the, their team of home economists, I want to be on that team, were tasked with testing the Naxon Beanery's versatility. In 1971, Rival unveiled its newly rebranded Crock-Pot, and wow, I love this part. Home cooks eagerly brought their crockpots home in distinctly '70s hues like harvest gold and avocado. <laughs> Very funny. Advertising campaigns, along with word of mouth, drove sales from two million dollars in 1971 to an astounding 93 million four years later. I love crockpots. Do you love crockpots?
0: Absolutely.
1: Ugh. So fun little dive into how it works to use a slow cooker. use a slow cooker. Yep. The cook places raw food and a liquid such as stock water or wine in the slow cooker. Some recipes call for preheated liquid. The cook puts the lid on the slow cooker and turns it on. Some cookers automatically switch from cooking to warming after a fixed time or after the internal temperature of the food as determined by a probe reaches a specified value. So the way it works is that the heating element heats the contents to a steady temperature In the 174 to 199 degrees Fahrenheit, or 79 to 93 degrees Celsius range, the contents are enclosed by the crock in the lid and attain an essentially constant temperature. The vapor that's produced at this temperature condenses on the bottom of the lid and returns as a liquid into which some water-soluble vitamins are leached. And this was a very fun little fact. Stay alive, everybody. (laughs) If this helps you stay alive, give me credit somewhere. Maybe on your tombstone,
0: yeah, but if it so, doesn't help you stay alive, don't don't
1: cry don't us. don't nope don't talk about it. Slow cookers should not be used to cook dried kidney beans and other legume seeds. These foods contain the highly toxic lectin phytohemagglutinin. Yep, making as few as four raw beans toxic. What? This lectin is only deactivated by long soaking then boiling in fresh water at 212 degrees Fahrenheit for at least 30 minutes what?
0: You know, I think just to play it safe, I'm just going to eliminate kidney beans from my diet altogether Seems like too much of a risk
1: Kidney beans and legumes Yeah, so anyway There's all of that about crockpots Now you know Joe, what's your favorite thing to make in a crockpot?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, It's been a while since I've cooked in a crock pot. Um, Probably my favorite thing made in a crock pot is friend of show Andy's corned beef brisket and cabbage. Oh, man. Which is
1: stellar. I believe it. My family has a long tradition French dip recipe. Ooh. That's made in a crock pot. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. Love that it. Does not suck. You know what else does not suck? Hot fudge pipelines because <laughs> they're pushing, I guess. Um, the Newport family has always been a part of Pawnee, not always in a great way though, like when the hot fudge pipeline exploded. but the fish tasted delicious.
0: My question so, is though, would it would fudge flavored fish taste delicious? No. Because I don't think so.
1: I don't think so. Mm-mm. But, you know, anything that's sweet or extra in Pawnee is uh-huh. probably going to sell. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So my big question was, has this ever happened in real life? And uh, Brie did some research, and this is very fun. While there's no record of a pipeline of delicious hot fudge actually exploding, there is record of something vaguely similar happening an explosion at a chocolate factory in switzerland in august of 2020 that caused the entire town to be covered in cocoa flakes what that's hilarious if a dusting of chocolate isn't bad enough in 2018 an explosion at a chocolate factory in germany caused an entire ton of liquid chocolate to coat the streets of a tiny town what in December 2018, a delivery tank at Drymaster overflowed and West Street was coated with a tasty but problematic mess. The chocolate quickly cooled and hardened, which meant that two dozen firefighters had to use shovels and pickaxes to break it up and clear it off of the road. After the fire crew and Drymaster workers had collected all the chunks and carried them away in boxes, the still slippery roadway had to be cleaned with hot water and a roofing torch wow right chocolate's a hazard everybody
0: yeah
2: wow
1: <laughs> we were sitting doing research together and Bree was like oh my gosh this is amazing i was like put that in there put it in there <laughs> oh, do you have any thoughts on that
0: i just think that in theory it's sort of Claudia with a chance of meatballs, levels of fun to think about. Oh, the streets are flowing with chocolate. I know. But in reality, It's very unsanitary. Gross. Mm -hmm. You would not want that chocolate anywhere near your mouth.
1: Extremely unsanitary.
0: So gross. No, thank you.
1: But also the thought of having to like use a shovel to move it.
0: That would get unsavory real fast. And you would
1: just like look like you're covered in smeared poop.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. No, No. thank you. All of it. No. No. Mm
1: Yeah. Let's talk about no armcore because Grizzle Mike says, Ron is so normcore. But what does that even mean? So Wikipedia said, normcore is a unisex fashion trend characterized by unpretentious average looking clothing. Normcore fashion includes jeans, t-shirts, sweats, button downs, and sneakers. Clothing is considered to be normcore when it's attractive and comfortable and is viewed as normal by the majority of people. Normcore is a portmanteau of the words normal and hardcore. Why do they have to say portmanteau? Why couldn't they just say mashup?
0: (laughs) That's not very Normcore of them. It's a
1: remix. Um, The word Normcore referred to an attitude, not a particular code of dress. It was intended to mean finding liberation in being nothing special. However, a piece in New York Magazine by author Fiona Duncan that began popularizing the term in February 2014... Oh, interesting... They were, they were on beginning trend using this in 2014 in Parks and Rec. Okay, I see you conflated it with what K-hole. I don't know what K-hole is, but sounds I don't bad.
0: Also, want to know what sounds
1: like K-love, K-hole but it's a is. hole. <laughs> Referred to as acting basic, a concept which involved dressing neutrally to avoid standing out. It was this sense of normcore which gained popular usage. The characters feature, featured on the television series Seinfeld are frequently cited as exemplifying the aesthetics and ethos of normcore fashion. Do hmm. you have thoughts on normcore?
0: Not really.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that's about it for that. Now it's time for our likes and dislikes where we talk about what we liked and what we didn't like so much. Joe.
0: I like Leslie's... <laughs> After Ben says, the person whose name you forbid me from saying because it fills you with rage. Uh Uh-huh. That is the exact sound of someone being filled with rage. Correct. (laughs) Uh, Like Ron saying, you have your same hair. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I like him saying that the land has good sky.
1: That's such a random. (laughs) Of of course it does, though. Yeah,
0: uh uh-huh. I like John Hamm's cameo again as Ed. <laughs> if anyone wants to hang, he will be at Subway.
2: <sighs>
0: I like that we finally get to see finally the Johnny Karate Super Awesome Musical Explosion show, even if only for a second.
1: That was one of the best things that Time Jump did.
0: Yes, 100%. Yes.
1: I could do without everything else and just keep the TV show.
0: And, of course, Mailman Barry. Obviously. Okay, you guys, three more kicks apiece. <laughs> I like Andy's no when April insists that they are boring. Yep. I like Leslie telling Ben to wave his pen around. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that Ken Hotate is back for a hot yep. second. Love him. I like that Ken's son sells bolo ties on Etsy. He is a huge disappointment.
1: <laughs> that line was perfect.
0: Oh my god! Because his
1: delivery was like, "Yes, hey, I'm proud of my son. He sells these yeah. on Etsy." And then it's just same tone. He is, he is a, a huge, huge disappointment.
0: disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I also like Ron enjoying his shrimp skewer. He simply, yep. he simply, he simply. Oh my goodness! Yep. Mm-hmm. He simply took a skewer for shrimp and added shrimp to it. Correct. I fit seven on this one.
1: (laughs) It's the small things in life, Ron. Good job.
0: Absolutely. I like that the tablet wants Jessica's skin.
1: Oh, weird, but yes.
0: (laughs) Maybe just turn it off before you go to sleep. Uh... AI is scary, folks. Yeah, it is. Uh, And then I like that Ron is sorry he attended a public event.
1: Good for him. Yep, good acknowledgement.
0: What did you like about this episode?
1: I love the sign above the elevator in the opening scene. It's just elevator number two with the old-timey pointy finger. <laughs> you know, the one that you can see the fingers? That uh-huh. just made me so happy. I like that uh, 2017 now has an iPad outside of the, the council chambers instead of the letterboard. Look at them upgrading. Um, lawyer Trevor just makes me so happy. He's mm-hmm. so dry and so perfect. Yes. And the practice name is Foire Dips Windchairs Grit babeep, Pakoda, Vorp and Eckstein. Ah, ah. <laughs> and did you notice on his slides when he would do the two finger salute and then point to the TV and that's when his slides would advance and there was also a sound effect with it. It was and made me so happy.
0: I did As a not production notice person. that, actually.
1: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So subtle. Made me so happy. I love the simplicity of Ron's company. Very good building and development company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not too flashy. Good job. Um, I love Ed finding the empty bird census 1980 folder and then just going to Subway. <laughs> of course. Of course. That was just a beautiful moment of lift. Mm-hmm. I approve of that. And also, April and Andy have a real couch and their house is relatively clean? hmm I feel great about this and also weird. I love that the VO for Andy's show intro, the voiceover, is purred. Yes. And that Jerry's the mailman. Oh. Yes. I mean, his name's Barry. Sorry. I love that the reporter really only needed a correct spelling of Tom's last name. <laughs> also, if I was that reporter, I would be... Not happy with Tom. Mm -hmm. I would not sit there and just let him talk like that. I love the small detail of the Tommy chopper serving chopped salads out of a decommissioned military helicopter.
0: Yes, that would be the most brilliant food truck style thing ever. Although, how do you get that thing around?
1: (laughs) On a trailer, probably.
0: Yeah, but that would be so cool.
1: I love the crock pot taunting April. I love that Ken Hotate's son is a huge disappointment. <laughs> I love the AI once Jessica's skin. I love Tom's actual speech and the friendship that he finally acknowledges. Mm-hmm. I love the perfect house for Andy and April. It's 12 closets, three bomb shelters, five dumbwaiters, two and three eighths baths and no kitchens. <laughs> it's a pretty standard layout. I love the staircase to nowhere. I love the house was a holding cell for people who went insane on the Pawnee doll factory assembly line and the places (laughs) had zero offers because people are scared off because it's haunted and disgusting. (laughs) I like how there's a random fire pole and, uh, he decided to move to Orlando to be closer to Disney world. What? But of course you did. Mid likes. There's a lot of comedy gold that causes me real life stress. Um, Ron doing the, you have your same hair. And Leslie's like, no, I don't. I have bangs now. And Ron being like, I don't know what bangs are. And I never intend to learn. Hilarious. And also if I witnessed that, I think it would stay with me for a long time. And I would dream about it and try to come up with resolution. Um, again, with Jessica's line of, Oh, Leslie, I've always liked you, but I also like money and money pays for my lifestyle. Leslie doesn't pay for my lifestyle. Money does. So between money and Leslie, mm, don't you see the bind I'm in? Hilarious. (laughs) Very, very true to Jessica's character. And -hmm. also in real life, if someone did that, oh gosh.
0: I love how Leslie says, well, Jessica, you basically did and said exactly what I thought you were going to do and say, which is oddly comforting.
1: (laughs) Yep. Accurate. (laughs) Um, Oh, I just now realized that Larry has two names in this episode. He's both Barry Mm -hmm. and Terry.
0: Yep, His character's name is Barry on the show. Yeah. And his name has been changed to Terry because it's a fun group.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Comedy wise, the wrestle of Ron's face ending up in the cake and paper mache Ben ending up on fire. It's funny, but it also just feels like too much.
0: It it feels like a little heavy on the slapstick almost in that moment. It's
1: so dramatic, and that's not how Ben and or that's not how Ron and Leslie fight. Mm-hmm. So those are my mid likes. What'd you dislike?
0: Really, just one thing that I would point to as a specific dislike, other than what I'm going to talk about in the shaming of the Jerry. Oh, that is the color scheme of the Afghan on Ben and Leslie's couch. Is what color was it? It's gross. The color is gross. It's like green mixed with brown and orange and it's not pretty.
1: Okay. I'm sorry. You had to experience that. (laughs) Okay. So
0: yeah, really just that I think as far as specific dislike other than what I'm going to talk about in my Jerry. Uh, So what did you dislike about this episode?
1: You already talked about this up top, but I don't like how quickly we're suddenly thrust into the Ron and Leslie conflict. Mm-hmm. really does feel like whiplash. Um and this line from Leslie hit me like a Ugh, no. Who cares if Grizzle and Ron have more money? Leslie has a blind stubborn belief that what she's doing is 100% right. We know what happens when she believes that. And Ron is usually the voice of reason that balances that out, but there's no balance for this. Mhm. Ugh. And now it's time for the coordination of the beautiful rule breaking moth segment, which we choose one specific thing that was a breakout star of the episode. Joe,
0: mine is the Werner Herzog cameo as keg jeggings
1: (laughs) keg jeggings.
0: So, so good. It Uh, really is. I hope he gets to Disney World. I hope he does.
1: Best wishes, buddy. (laughs) Well,
0: Um, who or what is your beautiful rule breaking moth?
1: Walking away from this episode, honestly, it was just kind of looking at Ron living his truest life. Mm. Like he's in his element and he's good at it. So that made me really happy in this episode.
2: And now it's
1: time for the shaming of the Terry Berry, the part of the show where we shame one particular thing for bringing the episode down or being unnecessarily annoying. Joe.
0: Um, there is no way that anyone expected Tom was not going to make introducing Ben all about himself. Correct. And he does. And that's not even funny or unexpected because we've seen him do it so many times times before. Yep. And... The joke just didn't land with me. It's yep. rude and awkward, and to yep. me, the big friendship moment payoff just falls flat. Uh, yeah, it, that
1: doesn't end up in net neutral. It's still no no.
0: Negative. It doesn't undo or make up for what he did at the speech at all. Right. Um, so to me, that just yeah. feels inauthentic, and
1: it's also weird. sad for Ben. Because yeah. if that is so meaningful to Ben, does he not have many actual friends?
0: Yeah, because, I mean, maybe there's some stuff that's happened behind the scenes that we don't know about. But even when Tom is being friendly to Ben, he's still being really mean. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that just did not it it did not equal the big friendship moment that they want it to. It's another thing in this episode that felt unearned.
1: Mm, valid.
0: So valid. that's my that's my Jerry Terry Berry. Uh who or what is your Larry uh Jerry Barry?
1: Yeah, valid. If only it was Mary Barry from the Great <laughs> British British Bake Off. Huh. We could talk about soggy bottoms and cakes. It's a good bake. <laughs> yes, Joe. <no. laughs> um it didn't fit. There's just so much about this episode that felt off. And once again, it's centered around another Leslie panic cloud of anxiety. Mm. Like, I'm tired of those. We've had enough of those. Mm -hmm. Give me something different.
0: Well, that means it is time for the awarding of the Lil Sebastians, the ceremony yep. in which we rate each episode against the entire catalog of Parks and Recreation episodes by awarding it between one and five Lil Sebastians.
1: mm mm-hmm.
0: Joy! Me! How many Lil Sebastians would you rate 2017? Gave it a
1: Three. There's a part of me after talking about it that actually wants to move it to a 2. Ooh. It's like some of the other 3s, like I I heard you say like we rated against the entire catalog. Mm-hmm. There's a part of me that's like it's not equal to the other 3s. Mm. I think a 3 is I wouldn't mind watching it again. Mhm. And I really don't want to watch this episode again.
0: That's a good point.
1: So I'm I'm amending that and going down to a two. Hmm. What about you?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think you're persuading me. I think I'm bumping this episode down to a two. In oh, time my God. I'm going to go with three. But yeah, I just it's not a super enjoyable episode. I think it's definitely not one of the series stronger season Correct. openers.
1: We rate this one subpar. Bada bop bop. You missed we, it, the mark.
0: It's been so long since we both rated an episode a, a two. I don't even know what we call that.
1: I don't know. I would call it a letdown.
0: <laughs> so. Ooh. Truth hurts. <laughs> uh, so now it's time to ask that all important question. Where, Where in the, the world, world is John it's John John Ralphio. Ralphio. Whoa. Okay, Joy. <laughs> go on. I off. Just had to go
1: a little bougie over there. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> uh,
0: as always, this segment is for episodes where the character not featured. We speculate where he might be and what he might be doing. Joy.
1: Okay, I know we got a Facebook comment about like wanting us to speculate wildly <laughs> and I will, but this episode was not the time for that mm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's pretty obvious to me. He's with Ed at subway. I don't know where else he would be.
0: Yeah. It it's one of those where you have to be true to your heart and yeah, you know, sometimes i think the thing about john ralphio is he's unpredictable so yeah yeah, he might be in doing this wild extravagant escapade but he might just honestly be hanging out with ed at subway
1: right they seem like a good pair
0: yeah yeah i mean john ralphio would probably get bored in about five minutes but But for that five minutes it'll be fun
1: Depends on how convinceable Ed is. Yeah. (laughs) If Ed is can be easily swayed to do anything, then they're gonna be best friends.
0: That is true. Yeah. So I I I gotta go with Joy on this one. He's obviously hanging with Ed at Subway. Mm Mm-hmm. And now it's time for Johnny Karate's Karate moves to success. An inspirational segment in which we apply the karate moves to success in our own lives. And the first time that we have done this segment in an episode that actually features the Johnny Karate Super Awesome Musical Explosion show.
1: Oh my gosh, we waited so long.
0: I know, and we're here. How does it make you feel?
1: Um, <laughs> I'm going to need a second to process that.
0: <laughs> I could I tell immediately by the look in your eyes. It was like... Oh, no. Oh,
1: no. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. Well, while you're processing, what do you want a karate chop this week?
1: Fall allergies? Ugh. I mean, it doesn't. You said it's an inspirational segment, and I don't feel inspired by fall <laughs> allergies. True. They just are gross. Ragweed is the worst. Mm. Is it the Rona? I don't know. Is it allergies? Probably. (laughs) What about you?
0: Yeah, I've even karate chapped them recently, but I have to do it again. I have to agree with you. Fall allergies are terrible. Um, Mm -hmm. It's gotten to the point where I just wish September and most of October didn't exist because they are miserable, which sucks because I love the season of fall. Uh, Mm -hmm. But for the first part of it, until we get a few good hard freezes, It is just like the air is attacking my face, and it is constantly exploding in this Mount Vesuvius of allergies and sneezing, and it's not fun.
1: But when you sneeze, does it rain out cocoa flakes?
0: (laughs) Definitely not. Oh, that's sad. And sometimes it also makes me get sinus infections, which just prolongs Uh... the fun for even more. I know. I know. So, yeah ready for allergies to be done with for sure. But I like how
1: you said it makes your face hurt. And then I'm like, Oh, winter makes our face hurt too. (laughs) I'd rather that face makes our face hurt. (laughs) Is there anything in the world that won't make my face hurt? No. (laughs) The answer is no. (laughs)
0: I'm just thinking of soft things. Like for some reason, my mind immediately goes to teddy bears.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's soft.
0: <laughs> like cooked pasta.
1: Slap some pasta up on my face. It might make it sticky. And <laughs> nice and starchy. Uh-huh. Anyway, we can move on.
0: Okay. Teddy bears and cooked <laughs> pasta. Cool. We're good. Those are safe things. And, and people. mashed
1: potatoes.
0: Yeah, those is Potato well.
1: facial. Yep. Nice little bit of butter and cream in there. Exfoliate <laughs> those pores.
0: Yeah.
1: Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh Yep. Okay.
0: So who do you want to be nice to this week?
1: Uh, Breeze reminded me this week. Today, right now. Whoa. As we are recording. Whoa. It is Thursday, September 22nd at 1024. Nope. At 9, 10, and 27 seconds. I read the seconds as a minute for a minute. No, that's well, not thank good. You for
0: the clarification.
1: My pleasure. Um, today is the first day of fall. Summer is over, everybody. Summer is over. Ooh. So anyway, um, take time to enjoy <laughs> the rest of the weather you have. If you are in a seasonal part of the world where you do experience cold, um, enjoy what's left of, of the goodness of outside weather before the weather attacks your face. Get outside. Leave your phone in your pocket or leave it in your car. Really, really take time to breathe and take in what's around you, because especially if you're in a seasonal place, watching the world change is beautiful. So there's that. Joe, who are you going to be nice to?
0: Uh, my be nice recommendation this week is a TV show. Ooh. It is the new season of Cobra Kai on <gasps> Netflix, season five, hey. recently released. It is fantastic. Uh, I ripped what through that like thing. It? I ripped through that thing so fast. It's so good. Uh, it just I've talked about this before pretty much every time a new season of Koba Kai has released since we started doing this podcast. I ride so hard for that show. I have ridden hard for that show since day one when it was a YouTube red original series. Yeah. before Netflix picked it up before it just exploded because it's so so good. It is the perfect example of how to capitalize on nostalgia yeah. around a previously established established property without just leaning on nostalgia while also yeah. introducing new characters, doing new things and bringing new plot lines and connecting those plot lines to the already told stories in ways that respect what already happened, but also give it more nuance. Yeah. And it's just fun. It's so fun. It's, it's fun. so good. Uh, good. it Oh, it's amazing. And the new season is fantastic. I love, I love that they have brought the character of Chosen back into the show. The way they do it is just perfect. If you haven't watched any any of Cobra Cry and you're going to maybe mild spoilers just like skip ahead 30 seconds but Chosen if you know anything about the Karate Kid series he's the villain of the second movie mm. uh, so he's a Japanese boy in this town that Daniel and Mr. Miyagi go to that winds up fighting Daniel to the death uh, and then Daniel spares his life after winning the fight and then they reintroduce Chosen in the series last season And then this season, Daniel goes to Japan in the last season, this season chosen comes to America to help Daniel take down the big bad villain. And I think my favorite scene in season five, which is a tough one because there are a lot of good scenes in season five is when chosen is sort of undercover, uh, in the big bad's dojo. But then you Mm -hmm. realize the big bad knows who he is. Uh, so all of a sudden all these other bad karate instructors come down and surround him and you just see him like go into fight mode. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. The tension builds so well in that scene. Chosen is one of I my favorite I feel so stressed characters. right now. Oh, it's, it's magical. Ooh. It is magical. Yeah. So, uh, I loved season five. I cannot believe that such a long shot show has done so well for five seasons that it's just like it's just getting better and i love it so much uh yeah so if you have not if you've not watched cobra kai yet at all uh i can't recommend it enough it's so good
1: love that for us
0: (laughs) okay joy take us to that outro you have a word uh my word is skin
1: skin Mm mm-hmm First
2: things first, I'ma say all the words in my head. Jessica, give me your skin. <laughs> Ooh, give me your skin. Ooh. Give me another one.
0: Um Norm Core.
2: <laughs> second thing, second don't you tell me what you want me to wear I'm gonna choose something not cold it's comfy (laughs) look at my hoodie aren't you jealous of it it's so comfy you don't even notice me It's an encore, I got it at the Gap. Or maybe at American Eagle. Yay, hey!
1: I gotta go down an octave.
2: Hey, you make me a, you make me a believer. Believer. Oh, you make me wanna... Look like you, but you're so normal, <laughs> eh? <laughs> Oh, I like how baggy your jeans are. They're comfy, eh? Oh, you look so normal, I don't even know. notice you. What's the next one? Uh...
0: Let's do Disney World. (laughs)
2: Uh, Third thing's third. Send a prayer to the ones above. Let me try that again. I did the wrong rhythm. I'm kind of like just flowing with this one. So we'll see how it goes. It's not quite true to normal song, but I don't really care. Third thing's third. I' must send up a wish to all the beings that are above Ooh, I gotta sell this house my dream is to go south to Disney World oh it's what I wanted from the time I was a kid I look so scary but Really, all I want is to dream. You make me a, you make me a Mickey Mouse, a Mickey Mouse. Hey, all I want is to go to Epcot and ride ride Space Mountain. Oh, all I want is to be close to the mouse who saved who saved my life who saved my life Joe
0: thank you everyone for hanging out with us Uh, we hope that you have had a blast I know this isn't quite the audio equivalent of going to Disney World or anything (laughs) but if you would like more Parks and Rewatch in your life you can follow us on Instagram at RewatchParks you can join the official Parks and Rewatch fan club on Facebook. And if you would like to support the show, help us make these episodes going forward and gain instant access to our after show exclusively for patrons, The Hucking Boofs. You can go to patreon.com slash parksandrewatch. And if you sign up at the punny goddess or Swanson Tears, you get immediate access to The Hucking Boofs. If you're an email type of person, you can send us an email at rewatchparks at gmail.com. We always enjoy hearing from you. And if you are enjoying our show, it would mean the world to us if you'd leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and a rating on Spotify. Reachy love fingers to you all, and we will see you next week. What do we say? Disney World. (laughs) (laughs)
2: why are you so good at that
0: oh man I just uh, I would like to see the baby (laughs) 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 oh my goodness